uh, but that wasn't in London, wasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, let, let's scrap that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah d- 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 It's Friday, June the 3rd, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Tower Baboon Inspector, and with me today is Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and Virtual London Tourist. Yeah, we've we both been to London. Uh, well, I've actually been to London. Another. This is the difference. I've, I've been to London, but you seem to have spent the whole week in London without actually physically travelling there. It was only bizarre. yesterday. It was only yesterday. It was. It wasn't the entire week. Just, just yesterday. Yeah. Okay. To be fair, for the um, uh, yeah, for, for the for the Queen's jubilee, so seventy the, the, uh, years on the throne, and she she got she got a fly past. She got some yeah, birth, yeah. planes information um to yeah, it uh, was the annual trooping the color uh, yeah. thing um the the sort of the 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 May 9th uh, equivalent uh, of, uh, of of the British armed forces i have to say uh, the the trooping the color always looks much more gezellig than uh, than uh, uh, driving around with nuclear weapons in uh, <laughs> in in moscow yeah um I have to say that, um, yeah, that's always uh, it's uh, that's always a night. I'm I'm I like military parades, so I uh, right. I was uh, looking forward to to that. I mean, yeah. we will hear that later in the podcast. We don't have such a thing in the Netherlands for <laughs> budget reasons. What, mostly, what, what would a, a Dutch military parade consist of? You know, so no, no, no tanks for one thing. No um, tanks, uh, only bikes. I think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and a fighter jet covered in foam as well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 They they won't use that one in the fly past. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> otherwise it will crash somewhere. Exactly. In, uh, yeah. Quite dangerous to the, the pilot. Yeah. yeah, we yeah. will hear about that later. No, yeah. uh, but the the, the absolute uh, highlight of the day was the was the Aria flight past. Uh, it was pretty spectacular. And what I mm-hmm. always also loved is that uh, at the um, uh, Victory Day parade in Moscow, uh, the flight past was cancelled because of uh, bad weather. Apparently, even though it was uh, yeah, it, it all looked very 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 nice uh, that day in Moscow. But uh, they yeah. cancelled it anyway. And he had planned to uh, to fly um, uh, some fighter jets in a uh, Z formation, right? right? That was that was the plan, uh, but it was cancelled last minute. And uh, 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 the the RAF had a nice um, middle finger to, <laughs> to the Russian uh, air force <laughs> because they managed to uh, to do a, a a a formation in the in the form of uh, seventy, uh, right? Of course, in honor of the. Yeah. Um, uh, platinum Jubilee. Uh, yeah. It was really spectacular. It was really nice. And, yeah, uh, and yeah. it's also in the shape of the number 100, right? Because the RAF was itself uh, 100 years old. Yeah, that was that was a couple of years ago. That was in uh, 2019. Ah, then right. That was when the RAF was 100 years old. So we already knew that they uh, were capable of doing this. And also, uh, uh, when you looked at the... Uh, the the flight radar uh, r- uh, right you have some sort of flight radars that also display military uh, 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 aircraft um, you could see this uh, this this line of of, uh, of fighter jets going towards uh, London it, uh, it it looked also uh, luckily these were British uh, aircraft and not Russians but uh <laughs> so they were British aircraft meaning they were they were properly maintained and hadn't been uh, yeah yeah they weren't like sixty years old. Or whatever the well, um, equipment is. 
Yeah, there were there were uh, Lancasters and Spitfires and Hurricanes uh, flying along with them. So there were some uh, some old um, uh, uh, antique aircraft. Right. But uh, yeah, that was uh, uh, because they chose to and not because of necessity, as uh, the Dutch Royal Air Force <laughs> okay. is suffering yeah. from. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah that th- th- has a different set of problems. Yeah, to do yeah with exactly. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. But I've said that the 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 highlight of the, of um, uh, Thursday for me was. Uh, discovering on Twitter that um, it was also the anniversary of the day that the Italians had a referendum to abolish the monarchy, and ever since then it has been Republic Day in Italy during the second. And how so is uh, how is that working for the I Italians? I spent the whole day worked. Well, I spent the whole day wishing everyone a happy Republic Day, which is uh, <laughs> enjoyed. But um, yeah, how it's working out? Well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the, 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 the Italians, uh, as far as I know, in the last uh, eighty-six years, haven't uh, had a fascist dictatorship. So in that sense, it's uh, they've done better than they did under the monarchy. That's you know, right. They, they, they haven't, they haven't um, <laughs> formed an alliance with uh, with with with, with, with a um, uh, bloodthirsty dictator. So you know things are looking up. I think in general, since they abolished the monarchy. Yeah, you have a point there. That's right. <laughs> anyway. And uh, Gordon, you actually went to London. Uh, I actually went to London. Yes, not for the Jubilee weekend. Um, did you Did you go by by train or did you uh, 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 had to queue at Schiphol for? I, d- for I didn't hours go in. Hours. I didn't go in a fighter jet, and I didn't have to queue at Schiphol because I went by Eurostar. Yeah, I, mean, I went yeah. by train, and uh, it was very nice and comfortable um uh yeah and uh, on, on on the way back uh, uh i uh, uh because i i used my last of my covid vouchers this is the last of the covid trips because we were oh. supposed to go i was supposed to go two years ago with my son um for his 17th birthday he's now 19 years old and we finally got to have his 17th birthday treat after his 18th which was kind of strange but um <laughs> yeah it was, it, it was very nice we went around the open but top bus tour we visited the tower of london we heard about uh you know how um, people had their uh, heads cut off and put on spikes um, to, 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 to please the monarch. So uh, I, I guess uh, you know the the, the 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 British monarchy, in spite of all appearances, has modernised since then um, <laughs> and become slightly more uh, socially acceptable. But uh, yeah, it was all good fun. Yeah, and you saw some baboons, right? <laughs> and we saw some baboons. Yeah, well, there are some because um, the Tower of London used to be uh, among many other things a menagerie. So they had yeah. uh, elephants there, they had tigers, they had monkeys. Um, and eventually they transferred it all across to London Zoo, which is how London Zoo was actually founded with the animals that used to be kept in the tower. They decided wow. to get rid of the animals when um, you know, a few things went wrong, like, for example, uh, a monkey bit a boy and uh, the boy died mm. and that sort of thing. And uh, I think someone got mauled by a tiger at one stage as well because the, 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 the tigers just kept in one of the many towers. In cause the Tower of London is, is actually lots of little towers um, uh, around uh, some big ones. So, you know, some little turrets around the place um, and one of them uh, was the home to the tigers for a couple of centuries i think from memory yeah and you yeah. and you posted a photo on, on instagram of of the tower of london and it looked like an escher painting right uh, all these stairs yeah because there's also staircases around. going up and down and uh, yeah these uh, lots of um uh, routes around the uh, around the ramparts and uh, yeah, people, yeah, people walking in all directions and, and 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 the kind of perspective i had was just from one corner of the tower so the, the, all the kind of buildings blended into each other I yeah was quite, yeah uh, and i was i was examining that photo and i was yeah. i was like what, what do i see is, th- is that a baboon yeah <laughs> so i, I asked you that and it turned out they have all these statues of these animals that used to live there yeah there's some sculptures the, of baboons uh, so they're kind of sculptures made out of i can't remember the, 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 they're not um uh, stone sculptures they're, they're, oh. they're sort of um they're made of some kind of fabric 
papier mache like or something. something. Yeah. yeah, no, more, more kind of knitted or something. And I need to go and look mm. it up now. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the 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 the, 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 the very, very very nice uh, kind of decoration uh, for the Tower of London. So it's only a better decoration than the heads of traitors. <laughs> That's right. Speaking of traitors and uh, p- uh, and, and, and people not um, uh, not turning up for appointments, um, what's uh, been uh, this week's opf of the week, uh, Paul? Yeah, the opf comes from uh, the Eerste Kamer, where on Monday a debate on the state of the rule of law had to be cancelled because too few senators showed up. <laughs> According to parliamentary rules, at least 50% of the upper house's members need to be present before a session can formally begin. But on Monday at 5.30 p.m., when the debate was scheduled to start, uh, the Eerste Kamer's chair, Jan Anthony Bruin, only counted 35 of the 75 senators. One and a half hours later, the quorum still wasn't met and the uh, chair decided to postpone the debate. He apologized to the three ministers that had been waiting the entire time and promised them he would have a word with the faction leaders. The minister's wait was made even more depressing by the fact they wasted their times in the new temporary senate chamber, which resembles a middle school chemistry lab that had been made as ongezellig as possible. <laughs> According to Dutch media, this has been the first time in the upper house's history a debate had to be cancelled because the quorum wasn't met. One noteworthy absentee was former, 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 former FAD MP Theo Hidema, <laughs> who was supposed to hold his maiden speech in the Senate that debate. Uh, but yeah, he didn't show up for mysterious reasons. Right, but maybe um, he just couldn't find it or something. Or maybe <laughs> he objected to the, to the architecture. Yeah, that's, uh, that sounds something uh, Theo Hidema would do, I think. Yeah. Um, the embarrassing incident caused a lot of upheaval on social media. Many people found it incomprehensible that more than half of the senators hadn't shown up, especially for debate on such an important issue. Commentators said it uh, was just another example of politics showing a bad example and undermining the trust people have in democracy. Um, it has to be said, though, that uh, the debate was originally planned on Tuesday, but was rescheduled to Monday just before the weekend, and that left uh, uh, for many senators not enough time to um, uh, come to The Hague because they also have a yeah, a senator is a part-time job, mm. isn't it? Uh, so they have other jobs uh, uh, next to that. Um, so yeah, it was uh, probably just uh, too late for them to um, to reschedule their other appointments. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, yeah, but it's still not a good look, uh, as you say, given that it was uh, a, a, a quite important constitutional uh, debate. And uh, yeah, and and and, and, and uh, then uh, somebody who once represented Forum for Democracy um, turns up to, <laughs> to and, and, um, <laughs> among other people. Um, yeah, t- t- turns out not to be uh, really much of a uh, practitioner of, uh, of 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 working democracy, given that you know After your one job yeah. as a senator is to turn up and vote in the Senate. And take part in debates. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, at first I thought, what the hell is going on? But then you <laughs> see that they, they had just, you know, a couple of days before the debate, they had, they, they, they had uh, pushed it to Monday. I mean, I think it's, uh, I think it's understandable that you know a lot of people who, who work as professors, who work as uh, bankers, or have other important jobs next to uh, uh, being a senator. Uh, I mean, they can't just say um, uh, uh, to th- to that job, uh, I have to leave because uh, someone uh, decided to um, to uh, to mess with with the schedule. I think. Mm. Uh, it is. Uh, I think uh, in, in, at first you think, well, what is going on? But then you look closer, and then yeah, I think it's uh, it's an understandable, uh, uh, unfortunate. It was but very it's understandable. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, and it, and it did, as you say, uh, give us all an insight into the, uh, the the appalling working conditions the senators have to endure at the moment uh, in their temporary home. It, it looks like they're, they're, they're taking part in some kind of weird experiment, doesn't it? Like uh, <laughs> some kind of, sort of sensory deprivation chamber or something. Like, yeah, like a medical kind of white or desk something, right? with a, a, yeah. a, 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 just a little bit of kind of light. Is it light green um, decoration yeah. on the desk? It's, yeah, and it's, that's uh, it. Yeah. It's greenish gray, I think. Yeah, uh, it's uh, yeah. It's, it's sort of looks like, like it sort of looks like you're queuing to collect your medicine at the pharmacy or something like yeah. that. Like, sort of cross yeah. between a hospital and a, um, and yeah, an experimental lab. So maybe it's understandable yeah. that Theo Hidemar went in. Maybe maybe he's worried. You know, he he, he was certain. Um, he, he was worried that if he because Theo Hidemar famously um, goes out for uh, walks, is often seen in Amsterdam taking his cat out for a walk. <laughs> so, so maybe if, maybe, right. maybe he had his cat with him, and he's worried the cat would think that there were the, the, there were rats and mice running around in in this laboratory, and um, yeah, they would get lost. Yeah, that's right. Maybe I think the senators had, had, had you know, um, uh, uh, mentally accepted that they had to uh, be at the Senate for one day in a week. That's yeah. the Tuesday usually. Uh, and they just couldn't bear uh, spending more time <laughs> than, than one day a week uh, 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 all of the sudden uh, in, the, in, in the Senate chamber. I think that's understandable as well. Yeah, it is. This week, Schiphol Airport unveils plans to cut the queues this summer, Russia cuts off the Netherlands gas supply, or at least part of it, and the tax office is told to cut out the institutional racism. And we have an answer to one of the hottest questions on Twitter. Do the Dutch really work the shortest hours in Europe? Please don't at us in response to this. Actually listen to the item because I can't be bothered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we uh, we we direct all your questions to Ben Coates. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because he 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 has more time he, 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 to, to deal with these things because he works such short hours. So. <laughs> Amsterdam Schiphol Airport continues to be the scene of long queues and angry passengers as a result of mounting staff shortages, sometimes resulting in people missing their flights. A spontaneous strike by baggage handlers in April on one of the busiest days of the year caused massive disruptions at Schiphol, which is the fourth busiest airport of Europe. The airport hasn't recovered from the strike since, and this weekend again people were asked to arrive at the airport five hours in advance, and many had to wait in long queues outside the terminal building. There was also one um, rain uh, <laughs> shower, wasn't there? Mm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we, we had beautiful weather for, for two weeks now and there was one one shower that just went over, especially went over the queue of, of people waiting outside yeah. the terminal building. So yeah, there were there were a lot of videos on Twitter posted by people who were really mad at uh, the simple <laughs> CEO because, <laughs> they, uh, because it started to rain all of a sudden as if he was in control of the weather. Yeah, they were um, raging and soaking wet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is, uh, which is isn't a great combination, I think. No. Um, and uh, yeah, due to a lack of staff, Schiphol has been operating at uh, 70% of its capacity in the past weeks. And, and in an effort to reduce pressure on staff and passengers, the airport has published a four-point plan. A four-point plan. Well, that, that should fix everything then. Um. Yeah, and uh, in, in in the contrast of uh, uh, of this, we should say we've had a question from a patron as well, uh, Jana Honeman, um, who lives in California and is uh, going on a round Europe trip, 
um, I think with her, with mm-hmm. her husband, she said, she told us, um, and is flying back from Amsterdam later this month. And she asks, I think the question everyone's asking at the moment, which is, how long before our flight uh, do you recommend that we get to the airport? And I think the answer here, Diana, is if you're not there now already, it's already too late, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. It, it depends a little bit on the date. I mean, I've seen um, uh, uh, people who are traveling on, on, you know, busy days, for example, last uh, Thursday, uh, on the Ascension Day, uh, they had to wait for hours and hours. Yeah. But if you go on an other other day, uh, then it's only it, people arrive five hours in advance of the of the flight, which was recommended. I think now Schiphol has reduced that to four uh, four hours. They will not open any. They will not handle you, and they, w- they will not allow you in the terminal building if you were there um, uh, f- more than four hours in advance. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it depends a little bit. Some people ha- were there five hours in advance, and they they were they were inside uh, after an hour, so they had to spend four hours on, uh, you know, four in, hours uh, in departure lounge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yes, yeah. exactly. So it it depends a little bit, and I also think if you're going later in a month, uh, right? That's that's uh, that's what she said. Didn't she? Mm, yes, later on in June, certainly. Yeah. Later on yeah. in June, then um, yeah, perhaps the the problems are solved then. But uh, yeah, we have no way for, for no way to to know for sure. No, it's uh, a very fluctuating right situation. Now, I, I, I have to say, I flew, I did fly from Schiphol last month, um, in halfway through the the school holiday, the May vacancy. So, I think probably about uh, around about the uh, the fourth of the, the, around about the sixth of May, I think, and uh, I, I got through in twenty five minutes. So yeah, it's yeah. it's not it's not always long queues and chaos, and they have published a schedule among other things um, of when they expect the busiest days to be. And basically, Friday and Sunday are expected to be the um, the, the days when you might have problems. Uh, so if you go in midweek, uh, you can save yourself potentially a lot of trouble. Um, what else has uh, Skipple come up with uh, as part of this uh, yeah the thorough eight four point plan to fix all its problems? Yeah, they had some groundbreaking ideas, such right. as uh, employing more security officials and improving pay of staff throughout the airport, including the baggage handlers. Uh, and by improving working conditions and offering better pay, the airport hopes to attract more employees and also reduce the risk of more strikes. Um, Schiphol has also promised to outsource services as little as possible in the future. And additionally, the airport asked the uh, passengers to bring as little baggage as possible and request airlines to cut flights as much as possible. Uh, and they promised them they won't lose their land and takeoff rights if they don't use them, uh, which is common practice. Uh, so uh, yeah, that way Schiphol hopes to um, uh, to alleviate the pressure from uh, yeah. from from the airport. Yeah. Uh, so so it's basically, kind of, so basically hoping that airlines will cancel flights. And um, yeah, so, 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 so the problem, uh, and, and that solves the problem for a lot of people uh, who won't be queuing at the airport because their their flight isn't <laughs> taking off and their holiday's been cancelled. So yeah, they'll they'll, they'll yeah. be absolutely fine with that, I'm sure. Yeah, a better solution might be, and uh, KLM also announced that they are going to do that, is uh, not accepting last-minute bookings anymore. So uh, that nice. way they can uh, deal with uh, cancelled flights better um, uh, uh, with, uh, with the seats they, they still have left. Um, and also Schiphol CEO Dick Benschop said the measure will not end the queuing, uh, but at least he promised travelers uh, that they will have a more pleasant Schiphol experience. Oh, that's that nice. Yeah, yeah, I so don't. At the, an airport, you <laughs> never have a good experience at airports. Exactly, airports yeah. are awful. There's no no such thing as a good airport experience. No, there are places you there, don't want to be. There is something as a very bad airport experience, <laughs> and that's mostly when you fly uh, via Charles de Gaulle Airport yes. in Paris. Always avoid that. Um, uh, Absolutely. Uh, that's, a, that's a good tip for Jenna Honderman from, from California as well. Uh, avoid Charles de Gaulle 
Yeah, at all costs. Yeah, at all I'm, costs. I'm, I'm, I was once rerouted via shoulder goal, and it was one of the worst experiences of my life, I have to say. And uh, exactly, ne- yeah. never again. Um, and uh, yeah, D- Dick Benscop, uh, who always reminds me of um, uh, the uh, the air traffic controller in in, in the film Airplane, um, the, 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 the the guy who gets high on glue sort of halfway through the, you know, d- during the course of the movie. <laughs> that's yeah. not. That's not. <laughs> I mean, it's an it's an it's an airplane movie, right? So yeah, yeah that makes it even, it even is. more worrying. It's like a farce, uh, but set uh, in an airport. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, a Jaap van Dissel always reminds me of Captain Eclo. Yeah, uh, I always, I always suspect that he c- he will enter the room with an enormous tray of of, of fistics. Um, uh, but at least that's not in the same level of uh, the same area of expertise as uh, you know the, the the vaccine department. But this is worrying because he looks like someone who messes up airplanes. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, which is kind of spooky, really. But yeah, Dick Benscop yeah. has um, come in for. A quite a bit of criticism in the last uh, week or so hasn't he yeah exactly because yeah. of the uh, uh, ongoing problems that Schiphol is of course under uh, yeah uh, th- there's a spotlight on him and every every everyone uh, every single move of him is is followed closely uh, by the media uh, for example on Ascension Day weekend uh, uh, while hundreds of people were queuing outside the airport uh, he was photographed on his boat in The Hague <laughs> instead of uh, you know sorting the mess at the airport in the boardroom mm. and uh, yeah also the Telegraaf published a detailed timeline of the chaos at Schiphol this uh, week with uh, next to it a parallel timeline of uh, the whereabouts of Dick's Benschop. Mm. Uh, he spent, for example, three <laughs> days in Washington, D.C. for a gala dinner. He went on holiday in Portugal, um, claiming to have uh, been affected by uh, corona, which turned out to be a lie, by the way. Nice. And he also visited the World Economic Forum in Davos. Uh, uh, and all the while, Schiphol had turned basically into an Italian airport. So, mm. yeah, so, so, so he didn't actually have corona, because I missed this detail. I, I heard he said that he had a corona, and that was the reason he was on his boat. He was isolating, but it, it wasn't well, true. Well, I, I, I think that was... Uh, now I have to uh, think really close. Uh, I, so he claimed he to have corona, but then he went on holiday. So the, the, the sort of the deduction is he can't have corona, otherwise he wouldn't have gone... He wouldn't have been allowed in... He in, shouldn't in have traveled, no. Yeah. No, so uh, that was uh, that was uh, basically how, how people think he, he didn't really have corona. Yeah. Um, and also all his all his trips and all his moves and all his uh, holidays were all confirmed by Schiphol itself. So they... Um, uh, it's all confirmed that he, he 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 didn't spend his time in the Schiphol boardroom. Schiphol, by the way, is is one of these interesting companies, right? It's these uh, quasi um, state-owned uh, companies, just yeah. like the NS, for example, which is uh, one of these companies. Uh, 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 NS is, for example, one hundred percent of its shares is owned yeah. by the Dutch state. Uh, Schiphol, uh, I think, forty percent of its shares is is owned by the Dutch state. Thirty uh, percent by uh, the municipality of Amsterdam, twenty percent municipality of Rotterdam. So it's basically a state-owned company, uh, and that's why, for example, uh, Dick Benschop was also called to the Tweede Kamer to give an explanation on, um, uh, 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 yeah, but what the hell is going on at that airport? Yeah. Uh, I think then, if you really think that this guy should be in the boardroom managing the situation, then you shouldn't call him to the <laughs> Tweede Kamer for an entire day. You know. Uh, preventing him from from um, doing his job yeah but he had some good news uh, to to share because uh, uh, Schiphol had just got a deal with uh, the FNV union uh, 
um, uh, um, agreeing on better pay and on ag agreeing on better working conditions, especially for baggage handlers. But but uh, uh, it also applied to other uh, people working at the airport. Um, he outlined the plan uh, I just mentioned to the to the MPs, but he did warn that the queues will not magically disappear, and he warned that the staff shortages will not be fixed quickly. And uh, people can still expect to be um, to 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 be on a very busy airport uh, when they go uh, on their holidays uh, this yeah. summer. Yeah, and of course, Schiphol's really um, in a bit of a bind. Well, uh, partly because um, uh, it, it's suffering a whole knock-on effect from. Yeah, the, we have these staff shortages uh, at the airport, but also, of course, among KLM, which is a major um, uh, in, uh, user of Schiphol Airport, and any problems at KLM in inevitably have ripple effects through the whole um, uh, yeah, the, uh, airline industry in the Netherlands. Of course, KLM has also tried to implement a pay rise of its own, and it was knocked back because, of course, um, the terms of its coronavirus funding uh, means that it actually has to cut has to cut costs just at a time when yeah. inflation is rising and uh, unions are negotiating pay rises which people need because otherwise you know the price of food is going up and their pay packages aren't rising in steps so yeah, it's th a real that was why the 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 original strike uh, in april uh, happened right because uh, yeah. klm was going to outsource the baggage handlers that's uh, right yeah uh, to cut costs uh, wh which they were uh, obliged to because uh, because of the um, uh, because of the uh, financial support they got from from the government and that was one of the conditions uh, as you said so um, yeah it's <laughs> it's a it's a weird it's a weird uh, um, situation. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a really knotty problem. It turns out the a dearly strike in, 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 in one situation uh, where you're trying to, uh, to keep the airline, keep the airport and the airline running through a pandemic, uh, turns out not to be so suitable for a different situation when you've got staff shortages and uh, rising inflation. Um, yes. Yeah. And rising fuel prices. And rising as well, fuel which, prices. Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, and, and and of course, people uh, wanting to air, to travel and uh, use airports again when they actually don't have the capacity. So yeah, yeah they, they're not. This is not going to be an easy problem to fix. Let's uh, put it that way. The Dutch tax service has a problem with institutional racism. Not a shock to many people, I don't think, but that was the conclusion uh, this week of Deputy Tax Minister Manix van Rij uh, after order to. But PwC produced a series of reports into the fraud detection system at the Belastingdienst. This is a big part of the reason uh, that the uh, previous government collapsed uh, because of the childcare benefit scandal, where thousands of uh, innocent families were labelled fraudsters uh, because they'd done something like uh, not filled in a form on, uh, or not submitted the right paperwork on time uh, to declare their childcare allowances. Uh, and then they were ordered to, uh, to repay tens of thousands of euros and yeah, their lives were ruined, basically. And yeah, we, and we always always joke that you know uh, uh, making an error in one of the official forms uh, is uh, amounts to a, a capital offence, right? Yeah. But yeah, in this case, it was uh, almost really true. Yeah, yeah, not quite a capital offence, maybe, but you lost your home, your livelihood, your your entire savings uh, because your children. Of, yeah, and, and and you weren't given any kind of uh, yeah. Yeah, often your children were taken away as well. That really happens a lot to uh, hundreds of people as well. Um, and you were given no uh, kind of uh, debt repayment terms either because you excluded from that because it was uh, all labelled as fraud. And the overwhelming majority of the victims were from low-income minority ethnic backgrounds um, and the tax office kept illegal records of people who had dual nationality. 
Um, so, yeah, I don't think a big surprise that institutional racism has been found at the tax office, but uh, nevertheless kind of a milestone that a government minister has come out and said it and used the phrase. Uh, on the other hand, Manson Rai was kind of far from clear about what he actually meant by institutional racism or whether there would be any real consequences for it. So he wrote a letter to Parliament uh, where he spent a long time kind of explaining what institutional racism wasn't. He said it wasn't a deliberate attempt at racial profiling, it wasn't an ideology that divided people up into racial groups, and it certainly wasn't a legal term that people could kind of use to claim compensation from the government. Um, although there is a compensation scheme running uh, for people who were um, affected directly by the childcare benefit scandal. Nevertheless, he said the consequences for people who were singled out were painful, and Van Rij said a change of culture was needed at the Belastingdienst. Uh, so what are the consequences likely to be? Uh, yeah, and good, good question. Uh, Van Rij said, first of all, that to, categorically that people's background, religion or ethnicity should never be used as a reason um, to, uh, to suspect them of fraud or carry out further investigations. Um, but then he qualified that by saying that sometimes there were cases of justified discrimination where somebody's <laughs> nationality was a risk factor. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. slightly contradictory, maybe. He also said institutional racism didn't mean the tax office had deliberately targeted people because of their racial origin, which kind of flies in the face of what nearly all the reports actually say. Uh, PwC found the tax office kept a list of 270,000 suspected fraudsters, and people's nationality was often seen as a risk factor. So they, they would class people as potential fraudsters if, for example, they'd given a large donation to a mosque. Um, hmm. And you, know, you don't keep a detailed list of 270,000 people by accident, right? It's uh, you know it's oh, very yeah. hard to say uh, characterize this as anything other than uh, you know a, a, policy, a series of policy decisions. And the question is kind of who's responsible. And officials used phrases like fraudulent asylum seeker in email correspondence. And of course, oh. the privacy watchdog AP has already fined the tax office 2.75 million euros for keeping records of people's second nationality um, to decide whether they should be investigated for fraud. So, Van Rijs kind of used this term institutional racism uh, without really specifying how it's institutional or indeed how it's racist. And although he said there won't be legal repercussions, he's also asked the government's lawyers to advise him on how to proceed. And he did say that if any individual turns out to have crossed the line, uh, there will be consequences. So clear as mud, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was also another expose of racist behavior, but this time um, f in the police, right? Yeah, last week, uh, going back um, uh, to actually the, the week of Ascension Day, um, when we didn't have a podcast, uh, there was a documentary about structural racism in the police force, where about half a dozen serving police officers uh, took part um, of various uh, minority ethnic backgrounds. The film was called The Blau Family, The Blue Family, and they described uh, the kind of systematic bullying discrimination that they'd uh, endured uh, during their police careers uh, from training school onwards. Um, including uh, a Rotterdam inspector who'd uh, been in the force for 26 years. And uh, he said that uh, in his first year at training school, um, someone took a picture of him and uh, drew some bars on it and said, this is our monkey in a cage. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, not not uh, good. And I think uh, this has uh, sort of um, taken a long time to, uh, yeah, to, to, to come to light. Um, this inspector basically said he wouldn't, he would ban his children from joining the police force, even though it's been his career for a quarter of a century because of the, you know, because because of their failures to tackle racism. Um, there are two uh, senior police officers, uh, Martin Tistat Sitalsing of uh, the, the chief of the Mid and Nederland Division, and uh, Gary Feldhaus, uh, who is 
Nations uh, head of uh, North Nederland, um, who have been in char- put in charge of improving diversity in the police. Uh, Martin Sedelsing said uh, there was a lot of work to do to make the police force a safe working environment for minority officers, um, but they have been given the task of uh, increasing the proportion of officers with a non-Western background to 35% in the next five years, uh, which uh, sounds pretty challenging. Defence Minister Kaisa Olongren presented the new budget for her ministry on Wednesday, saying it is the biggest investment in the Dutch armed forces since the end of the Cold War. The government will spend 5 billion euros a year extra on defence, which is an increase of 40%, and this will put the Netherlands over the 2% NATO spending norm for the first time since forever. Hmm. This is 2 billion uh, more than originally intended when the cabinet took office, but the Russian invasion of Ukraine has underlined the importance of a strong and capable military. The extra money will come from the enormous climate and nitrogen funds and also planned investments on infrastructure and innovation. Uh, The commander-in-chief was happy with the budget increase, saying that finally the Netherlands will no longer be the Klaploper of NATO, which um, I can translate to (laughs) as... I don't know, someone who, you know, uh, goes to a bar and then drinks the drinks and then leaves before the bill comes. So leaves that paying, yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, yeah. So not, uh, not the freeloader of NATO, you could say. Good to know that we're, um, anyway, that, that we're uh, decided to abandon um, tr- trying to uh, mitigate uh, climate change and uh, instead to just concentrate on blowing things up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's right. But but th- I think I think I have to say that uh, the the uh, it is a it is a it's quite a perverse effect though. But because of the war in Ukraine, energy prices has soared, and yeah. that meant that a lot of people are already you know uh, going into a into a energy transition, yeah. which they would otherwise have uh, uh, done years and years uh, later. So um, maybe that investment in the climate fund is not necessary anymore now so we can now spend it on um yeah painting yeah. uh yeah, because people are consuming less days. gas, and, and yeah, and and and, and uh, yeah. T- similarly, of course, I think last winter they discovered that um, uh, was it uh, the, the uh, uh, greenhouse gas emissions were cut because um, people are actually uh, burning less fuel because they don't need to heat their homes because of global warming. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's just all comes down lovely, lovely circles. So how is the Dutch military going to spend uh, all this uh, extra money? It's suddenly awash with. Yeah, first and foremost, they uh, they needed to uh, to do some overdue maintenance and do some uh, uh, desperately needed repairs. Yeah. Uh, do they also the need to repair a fighter jet that has been damaged by uh, <laughs> b- 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 uh, b- by fire fire retardant foam? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you are referring, of course, to when uh, the the new F thirty fives arrived a couple of years ago. Yeah. They were welcomed by the uh, uh, the Air Force bases uh, firefighters with a uh, uh, with a ceremonial uh, water arch. But instead yeah. of water, they used uh, uh, extinguishing foam, which yeah. turned out to uh, have a bad effect on on the paint of the uh, freshly multi billion dollar uh, uh, worth um, uh, fighter jets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it didn't didn't win the OPEF of the year. I think we did. Uh, it was, it was, I think it was a year before last. I think that was the yeah, Opera yeah, of the Year winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was a nice, uh, nice, uh, nice it was, saga. It was great because it was a combination of about 15 years of Opera around the exactly. Joint Strike Fighter. Yeah. yeah. 
But moving on. Uh, but they are going to buy uh, an additional six fighter jets, so okay. uh, yeah, they they can uh, they can destroy it again with M- more uh, targets for, for the firefighters. Yeah, yeah, uh, but but yeah, they they first need to to uh, to to do some uh, uh, some maintenance and some repairs because for years defense has seen an endless array of budget costs uh, budget cuts and that had its effect on the state of uh, real estate, ammunition stocks, materiel, salaries. So yeah, it's all it's all uh, to say the Dutch military is in a deplorable state. Is, is maybe an in a situation, but it's definitely something that uh, that is a word that comes close to the truth. Yeah. Um, but uh, on top of fixing the basics, the military will acquire new weapon systems, such as uh, Patriot air defense systems, four new Reaper drones, including weapons, and uh, uh, as I said, six more F-35 fighter jets. Um, also, outdated transport helicopters and submarines will be replaced. Uh, working conditions will also be improved. All salaries will, inc- will be increased by at least 8.5%. And that way, the ministry hopes to attract more desperately needed personnel, as well as uh, reduce the outflow of staff but aside from buying in more equipment and maintenance uh, what uh, other wider long-term strategic plans do they have yeah, they use the extra budget to formulate an improved uh, long-term strategy. The Dutch military will invest in specialization. And this time it is not out of necessity because there's not enough money to do other things, but uh, it is because they cho- choose to. Um, areas the military wants to specialize in are transportation, in intelligence gathering, cyber defense and special forces. And additionally, cooperation with the armed forces of nearby countries will be intensified. The Royal Dutch Navy will cooperate more closely with the Belgians, with sea mammals and uh, the UK. Royal Air for, uh, Royal Navy and the Air Force will work together with Norway and Germany and there was d- also d- small OPEF. So, um, so d- does this mean that uh, Freya the Walrus is, uh, is going to be uh, taken onto the payroll? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, so exactly. Th- th- that's the best news. Finally, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and there was also small upheaf because Minister uh, Olongren was quoted by the Telegrafen saying that eventually the Dutch army will completely integrate with the Germans. Um, however, if you read beyond the headline, it was clear that the defense minister also said that the decision to deploy the Dutch military will stay with the uh, Staten Generaal. So right. it's not. Uh, we will not be um, uh, submerged by the by the y- Wehrmacht. Y- um, you will not be taken over by the Germans uh, for no. the second time in. Uh, mm-hmm. 80 years no exactly <laughs> yeah here at the dutch news podcast we could use 5 billion euros a year to strengthen our blanket <laughs> fortresses so we can safely keep bringing you the latest news political developments and opf and you can uh, help in your own small way by sponsoring the podcast on patreon for as little as a dollar a euro or a pound a month in return, we'll give you a shout-out on the next podcast and a chance to answer a question. And you'll also be eligible for one of our occasional giveaways, uh, just like uh, Jacob Spheres, uh, one of our uh, <laughs> longest-standing patrons, yeah. who this week got in touch with us to update us on the status of uh, Paul's red voting pencil. Very nice. Now, the red pencil was um, given away around about the time of the election. We weren't actually allowed to give it away to people at random because that would have been uh, constituted a lottery and it would have been illegal. <laughs> uh, so we had to give it away to uh, one of our loyal patrons and uh, the uh, yeah, the, the lucky person was uh, Jacob uh, over in Canada, and he's got in touch with us to let us know uh, that the pencil arrived safe and sound. He also goes on to say, we had a provincial election here in Ontario today. Unfortunately, we're mandated to use black markers, uh, which are supplied Ooh. but can't be taken home. But he said, uh, the red pencil did make the trip to the polling station, but only as an international observer. <laughs> Jacob also um, seems to uh, yeah, be on Dutch working hours because uh, he's had enough time uh, to uh, set up a Twitter account for the Red Pencil, which is at Paul's Red Pencil. 
so if you want to follow the adventures of uh, the Red Pencil, which has travelled all the way from Delft to Ontario, uh, then uh, that's the account for you. Uh, there are some images of the uh, pencil having a haircut, I, I see, and also um, yeah. <laughs> standing by um, uh, at the polling station in those elections. Uh, Jacob says we have a municipal election in Ottawa where we vote for mayors but not for water boards. <laughs> what kind of backward country is this? I mean, we can't yeah. go to the waterboard. So more then, and who knows, maybe the pencil will take in some sights around town. So, And he says, finally, keep up the good work on the podcast, and thanks again for finding a way to sneak the pencil past customs. I don't know what that last bit's about. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, it was all done above board. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, the pencil was small enough that it uh, just counted as regular mill, I think. Uh, oh, right, okay. Uh, yeah. 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 Even though it was pointed, it didn't count as, didn't class as a, as a weapon. So. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Even yeah. though it is the uh, it is the most powerful weapon of all, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We also heard this week, uh, as we mentioned earlier, from uh, Jana Honeman, uh, who asked us a question about Schiphol earlier in the podcast, and she said uh, she's a hundred percent Dutch American. Um, her grandparents emigrated to California in the nineteen twenties, and uh, she now lives mm. in Arizona, um, and, uh, ah. is, uh, and coming to well, not just the Netherlands but uh, Europe in general uh, this month and says by the way I love your podcast well thank you for getting in touch and uh, we hope you have a safe trip back home you don't have to spend too long in uh, Schiphol's departure lounge <laughs> uh, but it does at least I have to say Schiphol uh, as departure lounges go Schiphol is one of the more bearable ones mainly because it's got a library so you can actually oh does just, it ah. Yeah. ah I did not know Yeah, and an art gallery as well there's, uh, oh, there's really? a small there's a small subdivision of the Rijksmuseum hmm. in uh, Schiphol's departure lounge so once again, a big heartfelt thanks to all the patrons whose donations keep this podcast running. And if you'd like to join their ranks, you can go to www.patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Dutch News NL. As was widely predicted, the Netherlands this week became the latest country to have its gas supply cut off by Russian energy giant Gazprom. Gas Terra, the company originally set up to sell gas from Groningen, has already said it wouldn't comply with Vladimir Putin's demand to pay its bills in rubles, and so on Tuesday, Gazprom cancelled its contract four months early. Gas Terra imports around 5% of the Netherlands' total gas supply from Russia, but it said it had already made arrangements to buy the 2 billion cubic metres uh, from other sources. And the contract was due to expire on October the 1st anyway, and Gas Terra, which is being wound up at the end of 2024, wasn't planning to renew it. So that's it. No more Russian gas in uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, well, uh, not so fast, comrade. Uh, we still get around ten percent of our gas from Russia via other sources. Um, so there's a company called Gazprom Energy, uh, which is based in Denbos, uh, that yeah. supplies around a third of municipalities and some large companies. And that company is registered in the Netherlands and takes payment in euros, so that those streams are not being affected. And uh, energy firms Uniper and RVA uh, among those still importing their gas directly from Russia, while Eneco, one of the big Dutch suppliers, gets its gas from Gazprom's German subsidiary Vingas. Yeah, it's all very confusing, all these um, uh, uh, European branches of uh, this Russian state-owned uh, company, isn't it? Um, yeah. But, but, but this is all pushing the price up for energy, right? Yeah, the 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 price of um, energy, uh, the the no, for heating and, uh, and and domestic use is creeping up, and so also especially as the price of petrol and diesel. Petrol's heading back up towards uh, two fifty a liter, which is where it was in March. I seem to remember, and diesel costs around two fifteen. The Netherlands has uh, about the most expensive petrol and diesel in, in in Europe because of the high 
tax levies. Uh, but since Tuesday, there's been an option for motorists in the east uh, because Germany has cut its petrol prices by around 15 cents a litre. And that means motorists can save up to 40 cents a litre on petrol. It's generally slightly cheaper in Germany, but that's, uh, that gap has grown because of this tax cut the Germans imposed from the 1st of June. The NOS has uh, produced a very handy map showing uh, how much you can save if you live uh, over towards the German border. Did and they? It, it goes all the way out to places like Groningen and uh, Den Bosch. So, yeah, if you're mm. in Groningen, um, you can you, you can drive. You know, it's still a good, like, so what, it must be about what, so 45 minutes drive to the German border, um, but it's still worth it, apparently. You know, you'll still make a saving if you fill up at the pump in, uh, in, in, in Germany. So um, uh, employees of Gazprom Energy uh, can uh, can get their energy cheap in uh, in Germany. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And this is also uh, putting pressure on the government to pump more uh, gas out of Groningen, even though uh, it has promised to uh, to stop gas extraction altogether, right? Yeah, it's promised to decommission the Groningen gas field because of the earthquakes um, and uh, you know, all the damage that that's caused and the yeah enormous uh, unhappiness and discontent among people whose homes have uh, fallen down uh, because of uh, constant uh, gas drilling over 50 years. Um, the minister in charge of mines, Hans Feilbrief, has uh, kind of ruled out resuming gas drilling uh, because yeah it is just too politically sensitive and of course many people whose homes have been damaged are still waiting for compensation there's a lot of anger about the way the compensation scheme has been handled it's been too slow uh, when they did uh, open up um, uh, a compensation fund in January it, uh, it ran out in a couple of days because there wasn't actually enough money in the pot and people stood there queuing outside council offices um, so, so you had sort of, sort, of, sort of Russian bread queue scenes in Kronia because of the, um, uh, the, the the lack of compensation. Um, but on the other hand, people in the energy industry, and these are increasingly loud voices, say Kronia should be considered seriously as an option, um, particularly if there's a threat of gas shortages uh, in the coming upcoming winter. And one thing uh, the Netherlands is trying to do, and the rest of Europe as well, to mitigate that is to try and stock up its gas reserves over the summer. Uh, at the moment, uh, the gas reserves are about 38% full, and they're aiming to get up to 80% full by November, um, which is a lot better than they were this last winter past. Uh, René Peters, who's an energy specialist at the Netherlands Organisation for Applied Scientific Research, said a contingency plan should be drawn up now, including a risk assessment and potential compensation for Groningen residents. Um, but I think if René Peters has seen uh, the kind of contingency plan we've drawn up for coronavirus he probably won't be very <laughs> reassured uh, by uh, the, 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 by, yeah, by this government's uh, uh, track record on contingency planning the mining regulator Sodom uh the stats was the top domain and great great name, great name. <laughs> a very appropriate acronym yeah <laughs> uh, it did say in 2018 that um uh, there was a safe limit of about 12 billion cubic meters a year now for context in 2013 which was the record for gas extraction um before the government admitted that uh, the drilling was causing earthquakes in 2013 we, we, we produced 54 cubic million uh, meters 54 mm. billion cubic meters sorry of gas a year in Konya. now we're not going to go back up to that kind of level but at the moment uh, it's been cut down to around 4 billion so maybe there is a, a, a small amount of wriggle room to, uh, uh, to to pump more gas out of Kronia without uh, yeah, causing more damage. Yeah and there was also recently a poll uh, conducted among uh, people in Groningen and they uh, said that a majority 
uh, is in favor of improving, uh, increasing gas extraction if it's really necessary. Yeah. But it's uh, definitely something uh, we want to avoid because, uh, you know, of all the earthquake problems uh, uh, people have there already. So, yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's a real dilemma. And um, uh, hopefully we will not come to, uh, to, the, to the point that we really have to um, uh, uh, start increasing the extraction again. Yeah, but I think if as the months go by, and especially if the war drags on, which it looks like it is going to, uh, I think these uh, calls to produce more gas from Kronia to offset the effect of um, of Russia gradually turning down the gas supply, uh, I think these calls are going to grow louder. Not only at Schiphol, but also at the refugee reception center in Ter Apel, the problems keep continuing. On Monday night, 120 people were again forced to sleep on chairs and on the floor in the center's waiting room because of shortages of beds. At this time, the shortage was caused by the closure of emergency asylum seeker centers in Breda and Nijmegen, where 200 people were living while their asylum requests were assessed. The local council in Ter Apel and the safety board have repeatedly warned against overcrowding problems in the refugee reception center for months and urged The Hague to act. Uh, and last month, um, uh, the people were almost forced to spend the night outside the center on the grass because there was no space for them inside. Uh, fortunately for them, accommodation was uh, found just in time before they really had to sleep outside um, and uh, the next day emergency tents were set up by the Red Cross but uh, these turned out not to be necessary um, fortunately yeah but these are we've kind of seen the last couple of weeks just repeat these repeated yeah um, chaotic scenes yeah there doesn't be any kind of a, a serious long-term organizational planning here right they get an influx of refugees one day and they find they got too many because there's a limit to how many people can be accommodated to apple and that's been agreed with the municipality and then so they end up having to bring in buses and uh, transport people like 200 kilometers or something at midnight to just so they can have a bed for the night it's uh, yeah. just chaos and the government's i think been very slow to react here but finally mark ritter did actually go to, to apple this week i saw and uh and uh, see the problems for themselves. So perhaps there are signs that the cabinet is finally yeah, um, paying uh, attention, paying attention to what's been going on, to what people in Crony have been saying for months is a structural problem. And what is the main cause of the problems? Well, in one word, housing. And there's a backlog in finding permanent houses for people who have been granted asylum. And that means that they have to stay in asylum seeker centers. Uh, and yeah, meaning that they are occupying beds for new arrivals. We have to register in Ter Apel before they can go to other facilities spread over the country. Uh, refugee agency COA uh, says it's currently providing beds for 40,000 people, but nearly 14,000 should have been moved into a regular house already. Uh, Housing Minister Hugo de Jonge announced last week the government is planning to commandeer 24 empty state-owned buildings to use as emergency accommodations. Uh, three more regional reception centers will be set up to ease the pressure in Ter Apel uh, and early attempts to appeal local councils to provide more accommodations have failed to produce enough beds. So the government is also drawing up emergency legislation to force municipalities to act. Yeah. And uh, on the subject of uh, refugees, there's been a pretty appalling story uh, coming out of uh, the uh, Westland uh, uh, region this week as well. Yeah, some people are exploiting Ukrainian refugees, it turns out. Yeah, uh, to nobody's surprise. 
Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, RTL News reported that some Ukrainians uh, that are working in greenhouses in the Westland area were forced to sign exploitive contracts with a Polish agency containing illegal terms. Uh, according to the contract, which RTL News uh, have seen, workers had to pay 500 euros uh, uh, in fines if they complained about working conditions. And it also contained uh, threats of deportation back to Ukraine if conditions were breached, um, Yeah, which seems like... Um, idiotic thing to put in a contract uh, mm. especially if you're just uh, uh, fled from a war zone right uh, yeah. if you if you don't comply we send you back even though the, the, the these companies do not have the power whatsoever to do that so uh, the CNV unions estimates that uh, 35 Ukrainians working in the Netherlands have signed a uh, similar contract um, they call the practice completely immoral and uh, reprehensible. Some people who have spoken with Agile News uh, but wish to remain anonymous said that they all paid different sums for, example, transportation of other basic costs. Uh, so that also shows that it is a very shady business these companies are working um, in yeah. with. Some of them haven't received payment uh, yet after a month of working. Uh, they also do not know what exactly they are earning an hour because of all the additional fees they have to pay. And the practice amounts to human trafficking, according to campaign group Comensa. Uh, Dutch and Polish employers are abusing vulnerable people and they know very well what they are doing. And that's completely wrong, director Ina Hut said. Some 60,000 Ukrainian refugees have come to the Netherlands so far. They do not need a work permit, but employers have to have a duty to register this with the uh, UAV. So, um, yeah, pretty dreadful. And um, in one way, it's not surprising that this happens, especially because the Westland has a, uh, you know, this horticulture sector has a... Uh, um, uh, yeah, it has a uh, reputation, really. It has a reputation uh, yeah, of, yeah, of similar practices. Yeah. exploiting uh, exploiting uh, people especially from uh, eastern europe so in a way it's it's um, not surprising but on the other hand it's uh, surprising that it happened so fast i think uh, these people arrived a month ago and they're already um, yeah in, in in such a terrible condition uh, uh, yeah i think wherever people are vulnerable and desperate there'll always be somebody who's uh, yeah who, who, who's quick to uh, exploit that and uh, benefit from it uh, at, yeah. at their expense sadly um, so good, good that it's come to light, I guess. Yeah, good that it's come to light so fast, I think, also, yeah. because um, uh, usually because this is such a shady business and these are people who usually do not have connections with um, uh, with the rest of the population. It's always a very isolated group, right? Mm. Um, they don't have the means to, to, to come forward and to um, shed a light on, on these kind of practices. So I think it's also very good that it's uh, already, that we already hear about these malpractices so soon after uh, these people arrived in the Netherlands and it's not um, hidden and hopefully um, this news will also lead to other revelations if they are if they are there it's probably the fastest way to stir up rage among luxembourg flag wavers on twitter but it turns out to be true the dutch really do work fewer hours than any other nation in europe the average employee in the netherlands clocks up 32 hours a week compared to 34 hours in denmark which is the next uh, easiest place in europe to work and more than 40 hours in greece poland and romania so all those lazy greeks only working 40 hours a week on our taxes shame on them i i need to say something first um <laughs> okay this is completely unrelated to anything. Well, it's a little bit related. Uh, uh, re remember, Shen had sent me an email and it ended up in my spam oh, yeah. folder. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. I regularly check my spam folder and I, I found uh, an email 
um, an email about a dating site. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it says that uh, since March, uh, <laughs> 2,500 Ukrainian women move to the Netherlands on a daily basis. Uh, we have uh, <laughs> selected the hottest Ukrainian women <laughs> for you to date. And okay. then it says later, uh, it confuses in this email, it's c- clearly spam, uh, 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 the spam mail. It, it confuses the Netherlands with Denmark again. They offer you like uh, potential dates in Copenhagen. And, uh, yeah, in yeah, yeah, yeah. So later it says, uh, we have set up a dating site for uh, Slavic uh, girls that move to Denmark, it says later. Okay. Even though they 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 kept uh, mentioning the Netherlands all the time in the in the email, so I thought that was uh, uh, <laughs> right. um, not just not just the New York Times confuses the Netherlands with uh, no. with Denmark, also um, bots, I think. Yeah, yeah, but but, but, yeah, but according to these stats, uh, the Netherlands and Denmark are the two countries where you have got the most time for dating uh, because uh, you're only working thirty two thirty four hours a week. So maybe fruitful markets for these uh, spam dating companies, I don't know. But uh, yeah, the the short working hours is uh, becoming a problem now in in the labor market where companies are struggling to recruit staff. And that was according to the CBS's chief economist, Peter Hein from Mulliken, the the statistic agency's uh, uh, senior economist. I dedicated a whole thread on Twitter to this unprecedented situation where there are now more vacancies than people who are actually available to fill them. And there's around 133 jobs open for every 100 candidates. One third of Dutch companies have said the difficulty of finding personnel was the biggest obstacle they currently face. And the coronavirus pandemic uh, is also blamed um, as contributing to the problem because uh, unprofitable companies have uh, been kept afloat by government support. And that means that uh, ordinarily their employees would uh, well lose their jobs and come back on the market and then be available to fill those vacancies. So we all need to stop working part time. Well, yeah, that's what people always say, isn't it? Uh, and people always uh, say yeah, that there are too many women working part-time in this country and they should all work full-time. But actually, that wasn't uh, really Van Mulliken's uh, conclusion because he said mm. in the long term, this is actually a problem that goes back further than the pandemic or the current labour market situation. The underlying problem is basically, we're, we're all, well, there are two things. One is that we're all getting older. Um, so there are just few, few, the workforce is shrinking, but the amount of work for them to do is not. Um, so around 70% of people between the ages of 15 and 75 have a job at the moment, which is the highest labour participation in Europe. Um, and uh, basically, the, 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 there are no easy ways to get people to work more. Um, no. There are also all kinds of uh, unfavourable consequences if you do increase your working hours, because very often you're, you're entitled to things like uh, childcare support if you're a working parent, which uh, then gets reduced if you work more hours, and therefore it's yeah. just not economically viable for you as an individual to, to work longer. It makes no sense, so people don't. And also, of course, uh, it will also have an impact on uh, the volunteer work. There will be less people, people have less free time to do voluntary work, so actually the cost of work would, would go up uh, and there are basic sort of cultural barriers to women working full-time you know for all that people say especially on social media are fond of saying there are too many women working part-time that's something that's kind of hardwired into dutch society and i know having been a dad in the school playground and seeing the tiny number of other men who drop their children off at school usually they just do it on one day a week for their papa dach yeah. um, but you know yeah. it's, it's a very it's still a very rare sight although i have to say i haven't been taking my children to school for a few years now because they're older but that certainly was my impression uh, going back uh, five or six years. 
So, yeah, and another solution people come up with is more migration, especially short-term migration, just uh, giving uh, jobs to more migrants. But um, Another way to, to enrage uh, Luxembourg Another way to enrage people. Luxembourg flag Twitter, indeed, yeah. The, 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 the great great replacement, whatever they call it. Uh, but again, that that's not a solution in the long term because guess what? Migrants get older and draw pensions as well. So... <laughs> um, and then, yeah, and, and because they're uh, entitled to much better health care uh, often in the Netherlands, uh, they, 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 they tend to they tend live to longer stay. and have they tend to stay longer and live longer and have more more, more, more pension years. So ultimately, says um, the, the answer is really to uh, increase productivity and um, and uh, promote smarter working rather than longer working hours, so that people get more out of the hours that they do work. So we have to get even more productive than we already are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even though the statistics say that we are one of the most productive. Um, uh, yeah, countries in Europe, th- that productivity hasn't been going up so much in recent years, partly mm. because the jobs that, uh, that were created um, tended to be for uh, low-skilled, offered to foreign workers, very low-paid, such as being a baggage handler at Schiphol. So mm. the answer is, guess what? To you know, to to, to improve wages um, and uh, use more innovation to make work more attractive for people, so, so those people who are working get more out of their working hours. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. And you can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a shout out on the podcast and our eternal thanks. My thanks to Pal Peters, I'm Gordon Darroch, and uh, we will be back next week, because just for once it's not actually a holiday where people are having to work <laughs> a full working week. Yeah.